Welcome to 20 for 20, the bite-sized educational podcast from Tom at Cannaboomers and Kurt Robbins, author of more than 500 articles about the science of hemp and cannabis. We're giving 20 cannabis topics 20 minutes each to help you get smarter about terpenes, cannabinoids, cultivars, and much, much more. And our show starts now. Okay, it's Tom. We're back with uh, 2420, our ongoing series with Kurt Robbins. How are you doing, Kurt? I'm doing well, Tom. Uh, it's pandemic and everybody's in a different mode, but uh, we're hanging in there. How about you? Yeah, still hunkered down, um, getting out for a walk with a bandana around my face when I can. But uh, yeah, this this too shall pass. Um, we did our previous episode on COVID-19, the coronavirus, and the kind of the misinformation around that. And uh, you brought up a great point. There's a lot of misinformation about cannabis out there. Right. Just uh, that episode reminded me that uh, claims that a CBD or any other molecule produced by hemp or cannabis acts as a preventative agent, you know, that it quote unquote prevents or quote unquote cures coronavirus. Uh, you know, and I, I recommend listeners who haven't heard that previous podcast to check it out. That's what we deep dived on during that one. That's all we talked about. But this is true for many other conditions, quite honestly, uh, like like cancer and and others. Uh, and, you know, I, I understand that these people are sick and in a desperate position. And often, you know, the healthcare system is, is not the resource they wish it was. So almost out of desperation, they go looking for something to help them. And there's definitely a lot of help in hemp and cannabis, but we just have to be extremely careful. We're not using terms like prevent and cure because they have meaning. Well, and as you and I have both mentioned previously, we're coming out of almost 100 years of propaganda where there was just bad information. This is the demon weed and it can cause all kinds of problems in the road to ruin. The pendulum swung back and maybe it swung a little too far because people are willing to ascribe all sorts of miracle attributes that may or may not be true. So it's time for some real clear scientific thinking. Right, right, exactly. I, I mean, I believe that there can be spiritual and emotional and psychological uh, wellness benefits from this plant. Um, but uh, those are often, like religious experiences, extremely subjective and just unfortunately cannot be generalized to the entire you know, public. Also true, I keep hearing the people I'm interviewing saying, we're not even sure how many cannabinoids there are. I just read about a new one the other day. I've heard that from a few people I've interviewed where the ongoing research is repressed for so long and now it's opened up and there's just new discoveries happening all the time about terpenes, cannabinoids and other compounds. And we yeah. discovered two new cannabinoids and uh, put a link in the show notes. Uh, an Italian research team published a paper on December 30th, 2019, that identified not only two uh, unique new cannabinoids, THCP and CBDP, but it also discovered that P series. And, you know, I won't dive into it right here, but uh, also I've, I've I've got a an article I wrote about the research study, uh, and it goes back to misinformation because there were some major magazines like High Times and some others, some that even had the word science in their name, and uh, they were misinterpreting the study results like grossly, like they just slapped it together and mailed it in. So, uh, yeah, there's misinformation even coming from some uh, arguably reputable sources. 
that's the the beauty of a free discourse of ideas. It's the marketplace, and you put it all out there, and eventually the truth rises to the top. I guess is you the hope. theory, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, sometimes depends well, on who has the biggest PR budget. Sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, that's our focus, and um, you've identified several of the major urban legends, kind of like the the Bigfoot of the the big feet of the cannabis world, right? Um, and so, what's your first one? Uh, let's talk about runner's high, uh, for years, basically since the eighties, uh, when, you know, running became extremely popular, uh, as, as a hobby and, and for exercise in the seventies and eighties. Uh, and, uh, it, you can still find articles right now. Go Google runner's high and you'll find uh, scientists and doctors and articles that attribute the runner's high phenomenon to uh, endorphin uh, or endorphins, as they're popularly called. And endorphin is a hormone that's produced by the pituitary gland, and it is kind of an internal opioid. It's a painkiller. Okay. Yeah. Uh, plain, plain and simple. So it makes sense if you're going out and running a marathon and you're really, you know, testing your body and there's a pain involved that uh, our body tries to deal with that pain with these endorphins. But here's what we learned since the 80s is that it turns out the endorphin molecules uh, cannot produce the there's basically low level and sometimes not low level psychoactivity involved in this runner's high. It's why we use the word high. Right. Um, it's kind of a bliss state. Well, it turns out the endorphin molecule is not allowed to cross the blood-brain barrier to get into the brain. And here's the catch. To have a psychotropic or psychoactive response, there, these molecules, uh, like we thought it was endorphin and it's not, have to plug into CB1 receptors in the brain and central nervous system in order to have that psychotropic effect. Uh, the endorphin molecules are just way too big. And for other reasons, see, the blood-brain barrier is extremely selective. It's, it's like an A-lister party in L.A., right? It only lets certain people in. Well, it turns out that despite this selectivity, uh, that it's an internal cannabinoid, an endocannabinoid, we call them. From our bodies, they're called endocannabinoids. And if they come from a plant like hemp or cannabis, then we call them phyto cannabinoids, phyto for uh, plant-based. And we produce two of these endocannabinoids called 2-AG and anandamide. Anandamide is a real famous one. It's been uh, dubbed the bliss molecule. Well, it turns out those endocannabinoids are allowed to cross the blood-brain barrier, plug into the CB1 receptors, and are the reason for this runner's high. It's not endorphins. That is super interesting because I was among those guys chasing that. And to me, it was a reliable euphoria. You know, I, I was never tripping, but I would reach a state where – a kind of a steady state where – there was no perceived exertion. I was just moving through my environment and, you know, I wasn't slow. I was going pretty fast, <laughs> but there, I, I didn't have the the pain that you, you can have when you're running until you get yourself in physical shape. So as an analgesic, maybe, uh, you know, I was never really hallucinating or anything, but I felt fine. I, I knew this was a reliable euphoria that I could reach. And to know now that it's related to the endogenous cannabinoid system is very interesting because, you know, runners world and everybody told us, oh, it's the endorphins. Go chase your endorphins. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, at one level, regardless, is it endorphin? Is it anandamide? It doesn't 
at one level, it doesn't matter because it's our bodies producing molecules and they're wellness molecules. They help us in times of stress. And, you know, when you're out there running 25 miles, there's some of these crazy ultra marathoners run like 200 miles. So, uh, you know, you got to think of the response that their body has to that and trying to make sure that, you know, they don't fall over dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was never that extreme, but I did probably a dozen marathons. So I did my share of 20 mile. Yeah. You, you probably got way into that runner's high zone. Some athletes, you know, report a very pronounced state of bliss or being high. Uh, and those that have consumed cannabis containing THC uh, have said that it, sometimes it's very similar. Very interesting. Your next one was about memory loss. Yeah, this was, you know, during the D.A.R.E. program of the last few decades. It was only recently uh, within the last couple of years that D.A.R.E. Uh, dropped cannabis. You know, enough states had gone legal with it that uh they kind of made the right decision there. Um, but, you know, for decades, I don't know if you remember growing up commercials and, and other government propaganda that said it'll kill your brain cells. Right. And uh, this is one reason I didn't become a regular consumer in high school. Actually, I started consuming at the age of 14, but uh, it was really oh, for the next several years. It's only when people offered it to me. Uh, and the reason was, you know, I knew that I was destined to not, uh, you know, do physical labor that that I was going to be a what are sometimes called a knowledge worker. And I thought, holy shit, if it kills brain cells, it was really very intimidating to me. Right. And I think it was smart PR on the government propagandists, uh, you know, and they deserve credit because it is very intimidating to think mm -hmm. that we're going to, you know, squelch our IQ. I read something recently that as you age, THC can actually help your memory. I believe that's true. And I think we have research that that leans toward that. Well, um, I'll put, you know, we'll put the links in the show notes. But here's the, the summary of this. Multiple studies have shown that, yes, THC does have a negative effect on short term memory. Now, a lot of people in the cannabis industry don't want to talk about this because, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's just a, an obvious, uh, you know, not great selling point. Right. Um, but both of the studies that that I've looked at to this topic uh, said that within 30 days of cessation of consumption of said THC, uh, the short-term memory of uh, the participants was right back to total normal. Um, so what we're seeing is, yes, there is impact to memory, short-term memory, not long-term memory, but that that impact is relatively short-term and brief. And you can essentially hit the reset button. Ex exactly. It's not as if, well, again, you take that argument to the extent of propaganda and you say it kills brain cells. No, it, that's not the mechanism behind it. It's not killing brain cells. And to your point, we found for patients with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and other neurodegenerative diseases that uh some of the molecules in hemp and cannabis like terpenes and cannabinoids and CBD and CBG and THC. And we talk about these every episode, you know, these molecules that they are neuroprotectants. We have many studies that reveal various mechanisms of neuroprotection. Uh, and there's anecdotal studies, too. And in fact, another thing we'll put in the show notes is an article uh, that I wrote for Strain Print a year or two ago. And I decided to include... Um, a speech that I saw Jack Hare, the uh, 
hemp activist who was so famous and wrote Damper Wears No Clothes, an excellent book that I recommend to your listeners. Uh, anyway, he told a story in Lake County, California that I was privy to listen to in person. Uh, this was like November 2006, a uh, long time ago. But uh, anyway, his mother on the East Coast, he's from Brooklyn and he, you know, spent most of his career in California and then Venice Beach and Northern California. But his mother was still back in Brooklyn with uh, her second husband, who was quite conservative. More about that in a second. So she went and visited Jack for 30 days and uh, he, everybody knew she had Alzheimer's. Uh, and uh, he said, look, mom, we're, we're going to deal with this and believing in the curative powers of cannabis, he gave her a joint in the morning and a joint at night. And he <laughs> basically said, you're going to sit here and smoke this, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and uh, basically her Alzheimer's, according to hair, went into uh, like a remission. It's just she was back to normal because she gotten so bad. She was uh, not recognizing family members like children. Right. Uh, and he said he got her totally back to normal. So he sent her back to Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, with 60 joints, that's two joints per day for a month. And he said, he said, Mom, when you run out, I'm going to ship you more and I'm just going to keep you fed with these. So we keep your Alzheimer's at bay. And unfortunately, her husband was very conservative and he flushed the joints down the toilet. Um, it's not a happy ending. Uh, she, the Alzheimer's came back and she got to the point where, she, yeah, she didn't recognize children again and it eventually took her life, unfortunately. Um, now this is not scientific proof. This is called anecdotal evidence and it's a story from one person. You know, I've got some experience in that realm too with my family and, you know, I wish that the nursing homes were more open. They're not there yet, but hopefully they're, they're on their way. It's tragic all the way around. Your next topic was the misinformation that cannabis, we've all heard this, cannabis cures cancer. Right. And this is extremely similar to our last episode when we talked about uh, CBD company owners and celebrities uh, basically shoveling misinformation and using terms like prevent and cure. And they were talking specifically about CBD uh, for the coronavirus, but there are plenty of people they're easy to find on social and, you know, God bless them. We, we want to believe in these curative powers and I'm one of those people who wants to believe, but it's got to be driven by evidence and science and, you know, peer reviewed research studies. And as we've talked about before, not just one, but, you know, multiples, but, uh, there are plenty of folks who believe that cannabis or some of its constituent molecules like cannabinoids and terpenes can basically cure cancer. Um, a lot of these people are kind of anti-big pharma. Um, they and, and I can understand because big pharma does both good and bad. I, I mean, I have family members who big pharma helps them get through their day for pain management. Um, but, you know, they also use cannabis products, too, and they don't want to become addicted to opioids and things. So uh, we have a lot of pros and cons in our in our healthcare system. I think to go 100 percent anti-big pharma is kind of a zealotist and ridiculous perspective. Um we just we can't say CBD or any other molecule cures cancer. And you've interviewed Mara Gordon before and Peter Grinspoon and Ben Kaplan. Uh, these are some of the leading uh, researchers and practicing clinicians, MDs, practicing clinicians in this country who will 
they believe in the health benefits of these molecules very strongly. Sometimes they conduct their own research. And Ben Kaplan, he's uh, assembling a collection of research with the CED Foundation. It's very impressive, right? But any of these experts in the field, if you ask them, will any of these molecules prevent or cure something like cancer, they their head explodes, right? They're like, please don't even say that because they see so much of it on social media. And if you follow these uh, thought leaders, you'll see them correcting uh, people out there on social media almost on the daily and saying, please don't say it cures cancer because, well, from an ethical perspective, one of their biggest arguments is that it gives false hope. Not to say that it doesn't help with some of the the symptoms you might be dealing with, especially if you are undergoing chemotherapy. You know, it could help with the nausea, could help with the pain, could help you sleep. All those things are very helpful. But yeah, let's be clear-eyed about it. And you know, you mentioned cancer, but it's just, and we did the whole episode last week too on on COVID nineteen on the coronavirus. This is not a cure. Exactly. Now, you know, people ping me on social media and they say, hey, dude, you know, that's not true because, you know, my aunt had cancer or MS or whatever condition and cannabis and or hemp derivatives, you know, these molecules helped her. Um, And I said, look at the word you just used, help. I think it's definitely a help. But the reason I perceive these cannabinoids and terpenes from hemp and cannabis to be help is because of the research studies and because smart practicing clinicians who have a cynical eye toward all this, as I believe they should, good science says, hmm, prove it, right? I got a car that'll go 200 miles an hour. All right, well, we're going to have to test that. It's not that we don't trust you, but we got to have hard numbers. Okay. So yeah, when people say, uh, you know, my my relative or myself, sometimes people are saying, hey, uh, you know, I've had people on social say, screw you cannabis cured my cancer. So, you know, you can go pound sand. I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I'm like, okay, first, congratulations. I'm really glad that you got healthy. I'm very glad you got healthy regardless of how you did that. But for most people, and Mara Gordon's really good with this message, for most people, it's a mix of, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, different therapies. We, I think the proper mental framework is that cannabis and hemp are, it's it's a tool in the toolbox, right? You might need chemotherapy to kick your cancer. And there's pros and cons to that, right? Every solution, you know, the hammer has pros and cons. The screwdriver has pros and cons. But hemp and cannabis are tools in the toolbox and they're part of the solution. They are rarely the entire solution. As much as we want to correlate the result with our intent, sometimes Correlation is not causation, right? Exactly. That's a, that's a wonderful thing we need to remember on, on a daily basis because there's a lot of information sources out there. If our overall topic in this episode is misinformation, there are uh, people who make that logical error, right? Uh, I recommend to all your listeners, I took a course in college. Just I'm sure I was just satisfying you know, a requirement and I wasn't really, uh, but it really got my attention and it was logic. It, it was a full class on logic. <laughs> you know, I, I took that too. And uh, my grade wasn't as high as it should have been, but um, it, it was eye-opening, right? It, it is because it's a really interesting way of looking at life and things like all A's are B's and all B's are C's. Therefore, all A's are C's. And I just, my brain loves that shit, right? Because there's, there's no drama, right? There's no he said, she said, Republican versus Democrat. It's just bam, it is what it is. And um, there's a lot of, you know, propaganda out there, misinformation like we're talking about. And sometimes they get into logical fallacies, in fact, quite frequently. And if you're 
educated on basic logic, just logic 101, I'm not saying get a PhD in it, you can smell out those fallacies and say, whoa, that's misinformation. And that's a good thing for consumers and business people, you know, industry pros and hemp and cannabis, because you don't want to be retweeting or posting to Facebook or whatever misinformation, because then you're part of the problem instead of the solution. Right. And that's what we're here to help solve. We're called 20 for 20 and we're hitting 20, but let's let's give ourselves permission to go (laughs) a little further because there's another topic, uh, another aspect of this that you had in the outline, and that is the belief that cannabis is addictive. Right. Uh, This is something that uh, more dame dropping. uh, We talked about Peter Grinspoon earlier uh, out of Boston and Dr. Grinspoon loves to talk about topics like addiction. Uh, It turns out, well, there's two different types of addiction. First off, there's uh, physical and there's psychological. Now, physical addiction is like alcoholism and addiction to heroin. That's, you know, it can kill you to withdraw from those drugs, right? Whereas uh, psychological addiction is like, I got to watch SpongeBob every day after school and have a chocolate bar because I'm kind of psychologically addicted to that. I have a real craving for that, right? So you can be psychologically addicted to anything. Oprah, chocolate, masturbation, riding your motorcycle, you know, it just, so, so we have to realize that. In terms of true addiction, we have multiple studies that show that addiction rates to cannabis. And yes, okay, here, if you're a purist uh, and you say there is no addiction to cannabis, that is wrong. That is wrong. But we're showing that the addiction rate, multiple studies have shown, Peter Grinspoon has talked about, it's about 9%. It's between 9 and 11% studies have shown. And that's almost identical to caffeine. So if the propagandists and the folks who are spouting misinformation want to say, here's why we're against cannabis legalization, it's addictive. It's like, well, then you should shut down all the Starbucks, too, because it's about the same addiction rate as caffeine. To be clear, we're talking about 9% of the people who are using cannabis could develop like a physiological addiction where they would have symptoms when they came off it. Right. And again, this gets down to, and I know we don't have the time to deep dive on it right now, but the exact definition, you know, the academic definition of addiction, because we have a lot of different terms here. There's addiction, there's dependence. And, you know, I encourage listeners to research that uh, that a bit. Um, I've actually had the pleasure of like talking about these topics with licensed therapists. Uh, and, uh, and, and boy, they, they really gave me quite an education uh, in terms of, you know, there's a reason, again, if we're complaining that we don't want someone to say CBD cures coronavirus or cures cancer, we want to say helps, right? We have to be very precise with our terms. Uh, it's the same thing with addiction. You, at the end of the day, you got to be precise with your terms. And we could all use a little one-on-one primer on, what is the difference between addiction and dependence and physical addiction and psychological addiction and, you know, just the basics. Right. Some of the opioids, if you're addicted and you don't get it, you're in a bad, bad way and it could be life threatening. Right. Like heroin, you know. Yeah. That's, that's a true physical addiction that can mess you up big time. Yeah. So if you're addicted to cannabis and you don't get a joint that day, are you going to be in the cold sweats? Are you going to throw up? Are you, are you, do you know? The, the, the... I'll drop, I'll drop some links into the show notes. That's an excellent question. And, uh, I, I know that, you know, there, there can, if we get into the territory of physical addiction, there can be issues like that. Right. Um, but I'd rather not uh, just spout something off. I'd, I'd rather cite something from uh, a, a good peer reviewed research study. 
Sure. We will get that into the show notes. What haven't we covered that we need to cover? Oh, we could go on forever about misinformation. This list, uh, our outline was originally about nine topics. We covered four uh, just because I didn't want to go too shallow on any of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I encourage your listeners to basically have a mindset of healthy cynicism, you know, not don't be a hater. Gosh, I see the haters on social media all the time. And it's just like, you know, it's it's not getting us anywhere. Right. Um, But a healthy cynicism is very, very good. Um, And part of it, and we've talked about this in the past, is selecting good information sources. Uh, You know, do you listen to Harvard? Uh, Do you listen to Leafly? Do you listen to Canna Boomers? Do where, you know, uh, are you curating your interviewees in such a manner that listeners can have faith in what they're hearing? Is Mara Gordon or Ben Kaplan, are they spouting misinformation and propaganda just to sell a product? Um, so, you know, we need to take both the information itself and do that little logic test, right? Do your logic 101, folks, during the pandemic. You got to spare time. Uh, and then also consider the source. I, I love social media because it lets me go to sources that I I know are already curating intelligently for me, right? If I if if Mara Gordon says this product is really great, I just I know our core values align enough that I'm going to say, oh, well, let me check this out, right? Or if she says, whoa, this stay away from this company because there are a bunch of sharks, you know, I'm I'm because I've already vetted her as an information source, so. Yeah, just I would tell listeners, don't listen to everything at face value. Consider the source of the information and then, you know, logically analyze the information itself. Absolutely. Look for the certifications, follow the money, make sure your sources have been vetted and uh, don't believe everything you hear. Yeah, you've been uh, following a hemp organization, right? Why don't you name drop them? Because I checked them out. They look real impressive. Right. The U.S. Hemp Authority, I'm pointing to brands that have been certified because they have a sort of farm to table. Uh, nice. Yeah. Level of certification on, on all things. So Excellent. That's And that's a good way of approaching the situation. You know, you've got me wanting to pay attention to them simply because I don't have the time to vet all this stuff, right? Okay. Well, I think uh, we covered our our outline topics and then and then some. Great episode. And, you know, there's enough misinformation. We might have to come back and do this again. We, we just we just might. Well, we've got a few more episodes in our series here. So uh, I'll encourage listeners to check back with us next week and, and we'll hit it again. All right. Thanks so much, Kurt. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to 2420, a special edition podcast series from Cannaboomers and Kurt Robbins. Want to learn more and help grow the cannabis movement? Spread the word and follow us on your favorite podcast platform or at cannaboomers.com.